Try that one more time. Hello, Overlake. So good to be with you. So good to be with you. Go ahead and grab your notes out of your handout. And you will see that we are continuing a series, is Blessing My City, and it is a series, it is a campaign, it is a direction for our church over these next couple of years, and we're very excited about what God's doing. I'm excited about conversations that I've been having with you as you have sort of uh, told me, hey, Pastor Mike, this fits right in with what my family and I are already doing. We, you know, we're trying to learn uh, all of our neighbors' names, we're trying to bless our neighborhood, we're trying to care for our parish, you know, all of these different things. I just want to say thank you. You guys make it's such an awesome, awesome um, reality of mine that I get to be on the journey with you because so many of you are already rushing ahead to where God is calling us to go as a church. What I want to do right now is I want to invite you to just write down a simple phrase on the top of your handout. There's no fill-ins, just, just kind of one truth that we're going to unpack a couple of different ways. But the truth is this. Um, I want you to write down, God loves cities. And if you want to make it more personal, write down, God loves my city. Because this is the truth. This is the Father's heart. We have to really kind of wrestle with what do we believe about the Father's heart, right? What do we believe God loves? What do we believe motivates the Lord and moves him to action? And, and uh, you'd have to conclude as you go through Scripture, God loves cities. God loves my city. And, and the reason why is really simple. I don't know how you're wired, but I'm wired that I love nature. I think the most beautiful things in the universe are in nature. Like you're spending the night on a, on a clear night out in the middle of the desert, and you look out at the canopy of stars, and you just see the whole Milky Way spread out in front of you. To me, that's most beautiful. Or, or maybe the sunrise over a snow-tipped mountain peak, right? I don't know if you remember sunrises. It happened. I used to live in California. I saw him there. Um, you know, this idea of the sun coming up and the rays shooting down or, or you know, I, I love the ocean. I, just the picture of a beautiful turquoise wave that you can see through. It's transparent as it lands on the white sand beach. I mean, these things I find the most beautiful, but not God. No, what really fires God up are people. He thinks people are the most beautiful thing in the universe. You want to know what God's heart is? You want to know what God thinks are the, the, the most beautiful thing in the whole universe? It's your city. Because it's your city where, where people live. And God loves people. And, and, and really, it comes down to you have to decide if you believe that about God's heart. You know, what do you believe about the Father's heart? Do you believe that God hates the world and can't wait to destroy it? Because some people do. Some Christians do. Some preachers do, right? They, they just think everything out there is bad, 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 bad. God can't wait to kill everyone. You know, let's, uh, it's, it's like um, if you ever seen a guy who's not really good with dogs trying to potty train a puppy, and they, they roll up a newspaper, and they just spank the dog on the nose, and the dog kind of wets the spank, bad dog. Um, there are bad dog churches out there. There are bad dog preachers out there. All they want to do is smack you on the nose and tell you how bad you are, how bad the world is, how much God wrath. People believe that about God. Maybe some of you do. Or do you believe that God's heart is a heart that is filled with love for the world? And in fact, that he loves the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, 
so that he would die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins so that whoever, wherever, whenever, however, we experience the grace of Jesus that we are swept into this relationship which starts now and lasts forever. You can sort of tell by the way I ask the question which side of the fence I'm on. I believe God loves the world. I believe God loves our cities. I believe he loves us. That's why we're a part of this whole thing. I want to give you a truth to ponder. And the truth is this. Doing just some reading through the Gospels. This is not, you know, this is, it's just brilliant in the sense that you have to wrestle with it. But I want you to think about the 12 disciples, the 12 that were closest in to this whole Christianity thing. And I want you to think about this fact. They belonged before they believed. They belonged before they believed. The disciples, if you, you know, go ahead and read through the Gospels and you see that this is true. They were following Jesus. They were the tightest in relationship with Jesus. And their theology was a mess. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't know all the truth. They, did, they, they were just in process. They belonged before they believed. And, and most of them didn't believe until after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. You had Thomas, who was the holdout. He's like, I'm not going to believe unless I see the hands and the fi-. And then Jesus shows up to, I, I believe, thank you. I, that's all I needed. But it was then that they believed. They didn't believe until then after the whole thing was over. Friends, this has profound implications for how we live and how we love. This this means that we can recognize that the grace we've received in Jesus, it can slop out over our lives into all of our neighborhoods and all of our communities and all the people that we interact with, our schools and our workplaces. And we can say to everyone, we might not say this out loud, but we can believe, you belong, even if you don't believe just yet. You belong. God loves you. His grace is for you. I am for you. You belong even if you don't believe. See, there's a reason that Jesus taught us to pray our Father, not my Father, although that's true. We do have an individual relationship with God our Father. He taught us to pray our Father. Why? Because he is our Father. Yeah, he loves everyone. He loves the world. He loved the world so much, he sent Jesus. So again, this is all foundational to understand that we, we're recognizing God's got us on a journey over these next couple of years, the journey to bless our cities. And we're at the beginning of this thing, and I was thinking about how in the scripture, King Solomon, at the beginning of his kingship, at the beginning of his reign and his direction and leadership, um, there are some similarities between uh, where Solomon was, where we are. So let, let me just unpack something for you. When Solomon was just beginning his kingship, he felt very overwhelmed. In fact, when he looked at the, the way that his father David had had this incredible multi-decades of leadership over the nation of Israel, and there was all this victory in it, he, he felt like compared to the task at hand, he was absolutely overwhelmed and ill-prepared for it. And so he told the Lord, he said, Lord, I'm like a child compared to my responsibility. I'm, I'm like a, a little babe. I don't know when to go out. I don't know where to come in. Like, I, I am so overwhelmed. Do you know, the Bible has a phrase for that. Jesus has a phrase for that feeling of being overwhelmed. It's called poor in spirit. Solomon was poor in spirit. Maybe some of you, as, as at the beginning of this campaign, you feel a little poor in spirit. I know I do. Lord, this is a big thing we're going after. 
This is a big stretch. It's a big reach. I feel ill-prepared. I feel poor in spirit. You need to know what Jesus says about this, by the way. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, it's a good thing to be poor in spirit. It's a good thing to know that you have a need. It's a, it's a really good thing. And, and you have to remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees when he was in his earthly ministry. He said to the Pharisees, look, it's, it's, the, it's the sick that need a doctor. It, it's the ones who are ill who need a physician. It's not the ones who think they're well. Do you remember this? And, and he's speaking to the Pharisees. It's not that the Pharisees weren't sick. They were as sick as anyone. They, they, were, they were really sick. Like, they didn't even know it. They, they were sick in terms of their theological rigidity. They were sick in terms of their gracelessness, their religious pride. There was all kinds of sickness right there in front of Jesus. He wasn't saying they weren't sick. He was saying they didn't know it. He was saying there's something about the recognition of our need that just draws heaven to us. It draws the kingdom to us. It's the recognition of need that is the qualifier. And so the Pharisees are standing three feet away from the answer to the prayer they've been praying for their whole life, Lord, send us Messiah. And they didn't even recognize him. Because they didn't know their need. They weren't poor in spirit. But meanwhile, friends, and you know the stories through the Gospels. Meanwhile, it's the woman caught in the act of adultery, the demoniac, the woman with the issue of blood. It's the hungry, the leper, the blind, the man waiting years and decades beside the pool of Bethesda. It's all of these who had intense recognition of their need. They knew they were poor in spirit. They cried out, Jesus, have mercy, and they received the kingdom of God right there, because they knew they were poor in spirit. Here's Solomon. Lord, I'm like a child before my responsibility. I'm like a child before what you have. And for who could be the leader of such a great nation? I'm just a kid. God says, you ask for anything, I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, give me a hearing ear. Let me hear your wisdom. Would you let me be the one who can listen to your wisdom so that I can impart it on behalf of the people? And some of you already know this story. You know where it concludes. Here we are in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. It says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart. You might want to circle that phrase. That's my prayer for me. I want largeness of heart, like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan, the Ezrite, and Heman, and Charcoal. There's some other names here I don't totally know. Um, what I do want you to see about that verse is that I think it's very, very cool that God recognizes and values the wisdom of other men and of other nations. God's saying, no, no, they were wise. They had all this wisdom. There are all these places of wisdom in the world. But Solomon's wisdom was exceeding theirs. It says he spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. Also, he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. And here's the, the culmination. I want you to focus on this. And men of all nations, from all the kings of the earth, who had heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. I want you to focus on that. We're talking about a gathering from all of the corners of all of the nations of the world. 
that, that the kings would send their emissaries, that, that there would be people gathered together and they wanted to come together to bask in the light of Solomon's wisdom, but it wasn't his wisdom, was it? It was the Lord's wisdom because Solomon had prayed for a hearing ear. God, I want to hear your wisdom so that I can bless the nations. And there was a gathering of the nations, and God received glory and honor. It reminds me of this verse from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 60, verses 1 and following. And it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, deep darkness the people, but... The Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Friends, I want you to see that, that we're talking about here, this, the prophet saying, look, the nations will gather together to see the light that the Lord is shining through you. He's saying the risen one will arise over you. That's Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. And, and he will shine through you. And it says the nations will gather together to see the brightness of your shining, the radiance that's coming out of you. Some of you are going, you know, I don't look radiant. That's a weird thing. I just want you to understand that, that this is about you. This verse is about you. There, there is a recognition that we are sent into our parish so that we could care for our parish and serve our parish and love our parish so that the grace and the love of God could flow out of us and swap over our cities and our neighborhoods. Why? So that ultimately there would be a gathering of our cities to experience the light and the love of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. There's a sending part of the scripture and there is a gathering part of the scripture. And so the question that I want to ask is, are you, are you courageous enough to believe that God wants to use your life to change and transform your city? Friends, I hope you are confident in this truth. I hope you are confident and you walk in the love and the grace and the power that comes from the resurrected one rising above you from his, his favor and his glory shining on you and then through you to bless your communities. I want you to see that this place, this church expression, it is the place where our parishes gather together in order to get, give love and glory and bless the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is very biblical as well. If you look back through, say, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, they both have these gathering times where if you want to think about the tabernacle uh, idea of the Israelites, this tabernacle was a place where the whole nation would gather together. You think about the temple in Jerusalem. It was a place not only for Jerusalem, but the whole nation to gather together. And then certain periods of time, it was open for the entire world to gather together in order to give glory and honor to God and to receive forgiveness of sins and to have celebration in the fact that God loves the world. Right? This is the, the reality of how God set it up. And I know that it's sort of in vogue to like poo-poo the idea of going to church these days. Like I, I get it. I know I, uh, sort of in seasons of my life, I was there, right? Uh, you know, you don't need to go to church. Like especially like the millennials, the new generation, you don't need to go to church. Hey, my church is my pub. My church is my coffee shop, right? Like that's, that's church. And it's like, oh, you know, that's great. That's not church. That's like a good IPA, but it's not church. And so I, I just, I want to tell you guys this, that, that there is something supernatural 
about the gathering together of God's people in order to lift hands and to bless the Lord and to receive what God has for us, that in corporate gatherings, the Spirit of God has access to our hearts in ways that don't happen the rest of the week. They're just not there. A living room is a beautiful place, but there is just something about the corporate gathering of God's people that is it's beautiful and powerful. And if it wasn't, God never would have told them to do it. He would have come up with some other way. Hey, forget about the gathering. It's just a waste of time. We would have that because God wants the very best for his people. And he knows that there's something beautiful about parishes gathering together. So as a part of this Blessing My City campaign, we want to make sure that we're doing the very best we can right here at home so that when parishes do gather together, we can serve them well. And so if you're filling in the blanks, I just I want to give you... Uh, the first fill-in, one of the aspects, the expressions of our Blessing My City campaign is improved sacred space. That's, that's here. That's right here in this room. <clears throat> we want to invest. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm getting a little emotional. <laughs> ah, we want to invest in making sure that this experience right here is a, it's a good experience. It's quality that God has access to our hearts, and there are no hindrances and there are no barriers to it. And I say this because it's sort of interesting for maybe you to think about, you never thought about this before, but in this building right here, from floor to ceiling, this is a six-story building inside the building. So um, there are two hospitals recently built, one in Woodenville, one in Redmond. I want you to know that both of those hospitals with the square footage, you could put them both inside this building. <laughs> this is not what you would call a cozy environment, okay? This is just, it's huge, it's massive, it's spacious, it's a warehouse. You could, you could literally, I mean, Boeing has approached us to build Dreamliners in here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I guess it's just, but it's, it is, it's on the ridiculous side of, of massive, and so there, there really is, we've got to do some things to make this a warm and a friendly environment where people can feel socially um, and comfortable so that they're ready to make a spiritual decision. And so just understand that. I also want you to know, and maybe some of you have never thought about this, but this building, we've been in here, we're coming up on 20 years they broke ground on this, this property just about 20 years ago. And so some of the technology that's in this room predates that. So I just want you to think about just the sound system and, and all that stuff. Like you need to know that some of this stuff came from the old building before they even moved in here. And, and so, and it's like hidden up in the ceiling and, and all, all kinds of things. So I just want you to know that that this is a constant challenge. Some of you, uh, you're like, ah, oh, it sounds fine to me. But others of you are like, dude, it's, it's way at the high range. It's so hot in this section. You know, there's all kinds of problems with this place. And so I just wanted to read you what our technical arts director, this is one email I got not two weeks ago, and it just talks about some of the issues. He says, I want to keep you in the loop. In the last two weeks, we've had three amplifiers go dead on Sunday mornings in the worship center. I have a workaround in place, but it's far less than optimal. The amplifiers we have are already underpowered for our needs, and now I have doubled up on the loudspeakers on several of them just to make them keep working and covering the areas that people sit in. We're looking at what can be repaired, but at this point, the company we use for our repairs is more than three weeks out on repair time, and that's assuming we can get the parts. I know we are hopefully on the path of replacement of the system, and we can't make a change right now, but I need you to be aware of the situation. I will mention that this does add a far 
bit of extra stress on Sunday mornings and during events. That's a really nice way of saying that. <laughs> we will continue to do our best to keep it fully operational. Thanks for listening. Sincerely, Sweating Bullets. So uh, I, I want you to know when I get an email like this, this is what I think Mark Breda is actually saying. I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. <laughs> you can only take duct tape, you know, so far, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the sound of wires frying, right? And, and so I, I just want you to think back, like, what was the height of audio technology 20 years ago? Just cast your mind back in the early 90s, and I'll just, sh I'll, I'll show you the height of technology <laughs> with its double cassette tape system. Show of hands, how many of you made a mixtape for your boyfriend or girlfriend on one of these? Yeah, exactly. All right, let me just show you one more visual if I can, if I can figure this out. In your eyes, Seattle. Right? Say anything. There it is. That is the height of technology 20 years ago, and believe it or not, that is what we have as our speaker system set up upstairs, all the amplifiers, the, the, the things that we're using. This is a, a dire need that we have to replace our system because there's going to be one Sunday when we're talking and the whole thing goes out and just... Hello? Can you hear me? Is there anything coming through? Hello? Anything? Do you see how hard this is going to be? <laughs> Friends, unless you want me to be a recess teacher <laughs> with a bullhorn, we need to invest in this space, and we need to do it. Again, it's not only for our own enjoyment, although there will be that, but it's when you bring friends, you bring family, you bring coworkers, neighbors, your parish comes together. We don't want this to be a subpar experience. We want it to be the very best environment where there can be an experience of God and how God wants to stir our hearts. I do want to let you know that a decent sound system will actually decrease volume, but increase clarity and fullness. And that's what we want. It'll actually increase intimacy in this room. And that's what we're going after. So that's the first thing. Second thing we want to do is we want to develop Kid Town Parking Cafe. And uh, many of you know that Kid Town was designed to be built in phases. We built phase one during the last campaign that we had. Now it's time for phase two. This is for flourishing relationships and spiritual conversations, believe it or not. And what we want to do is we want to not only provide a space, we'll take a wall out, it'll be right by the, the main street there in the Kidtown Station, and it'll be an indoor park experience with that thick carpet and a play structure for children to play on, a little bit like the third floor of Bellevue Square, and um, kind of an indoor park zone. There'll be a, a, a coffee shop right next to it. And this will be really functional on Sunday mornings. It'll benefit our ministry as far as uh, Pastor Alex and Kidtown ministry is concerned on Sundays. But it'll also be a blessing during the week because we have a preschool that meets. We got moms bringing kids. They're dropping off at school, but they have younger siblings. So it'll be a place for great conversation and connection for, for young families. Um, Legacy, we've got hundreds of families that come in on Thursdays as a part of a homeschool co-op. But not only that, we've got townhomes and condos all around this church property 
There are so many young families looking for a safe third place to come to let the, the toddlers and the kids play while they experience you know, some, some good spiritual interaction, good conversation. So a lot of reasons why this is an incredible opportunity we have to develop this. Just absolute point of honest, just wide open. This is Mike Howerton, unfiltered for a second. I want you to know that I had this idea when I came to Overlake 10 years ago. At the time, I, we had just moved up from Southern California. They, they have these spaces in Southern California all over the place. It's, it's really interesting. It's called the outdoors. <laughs> and, and it's open year-round. It's, it's a crazy reality. And, and so I came up here 10 years ago. My daughter was four. My, my uh, son was two at the time. And I thought, we need a place like this. Now I want you to know my family's totally aged out of being able to enjoy Kidtown Park. So it is not for me. It's not for my family. But I pray to God it's for you. It's for your family. And it's for your parish. Right? It's for the men and women that live in your neighborhood. So that's why we have to do the development of Kidtown Park and Cafe. The third one talks about fashioning a dynamic middle school space. And um, th this is a dynamic space for middle schoolers, for 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And it, maybe you don't know this, so I'll just brag on our student ministries for a moment. Since we've opened the student ministry room, um, the ministry has grown by over 100 students. It's just bursting at the seams, 350 to 400 students now coming through our doors on a weekend. It's just, it's a beautiful reality. And so they're, they're separating it out. High school students stay in the student room. Uh, the middle school students go into what we're calling the zoo. But all we've been able to do for these students is to basically build a cage and to put the junior hires inside. Yeah. yeah. Some of you parents are like, why didn't I think of that? You know, please do not cage your child. Um, but you can see that we want to invest, and we believe that God's moving through our student ministries. We want to make sure that that is an excellent expression as well. And the last one talks about caring for the house, essential upgrades to a well-utilized but aging Overlake facility. Uh, I want to show you a couple of older pictures of Overlake. This is uh, when we first moved in. Again, they, um, they opened the doors in 97. Uh, these are some of the, the scenes of, of what that looked like. And what I want you to know is that in any house, over a 20-year period, you're going to have to invest and, and make sure that you're caring for the house or else it will cease to be an asset and it will become a liability. In this house, just to give you a point of reference, every single week in a seven-day period, roughly 5,000 bodies come in and out of our doors. 5,000 bodies every single week in a year, that's 250,000 bodies coming in and out, utilizing this space. Just imagine if 5,000 people were using your house in a week. Okay, what kind of upgrades you would have to continually be on top of. The reason why I bring this up is not because I'm complaining. Friends, I want more. I want us to open the doors wider. I want all of our parishes to utilize the asset and the ministry that is Overlay Christian Church. I want this to just be blown out the door, but we're going to have to invest in the house or it'll become a liability and no longer an asset. Does this make sense? And so we've got, you know, just by way of... Example, two boilers that run the HVAC system here. Two boilers. I don't even know what a boiler is, but they're important. That's what I've been told. 
One of these boilers is gone, it's just toast. The other one really wants a vacation. Like, this is where we are. And that's just one example. Scott Noon, our facilities director, has actually come up with a list. We're prioritizing the list based on what God provides for this campaign. But you just need to understand, this is, uh, it's a call. We have to care for the house. And, and the reason is because we believe that God uses the ministries of Overlake Christian Church in a dynamic way. I want to give you a passage of scripture. It's Isaiah 61. It's what Jesus read when he started his ministry. As a 30-year-old man beginning his, his ministry, his three-year ministry, he, he went to a synagogue. He read this passage of scripture. And he said, this is my inauguration into ministry. This is my inaugural address. It's what I'm about. These are my marching orders. And this is what he says. He's reading Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So friends, you know then how Jesus lived his earthly ministry, he did fulfill that passage. You know that he did exactly what that passage talked about, that he was the one who where there were people in bondage, he brought liberty. And where there was brokenheartedness, Jesus brought healing. And where there was blindness, Jesus brought sight, both spiritually and physically. That you know that Jesus lived out this passage. Where there was deep mourning, Jesus was bringing joy. And again and again and again in the Gospels, we see Jesus doing exactly what Isaiah 61 talked about. But friends, not only that, we know, and, and so many of us, we have this story, that we see Jesus working not only in the pages of Scripture, but in the church of Overlake. We see him working through the ministries and through the conversations and through the volunteer leadership. We see him working through our elders. We see him working again and again and again. And there are many of us who would just stand up and say, no, no, I know Jesus works because I was blind spiritually and now I see God's grace. We can stand up and say, I was brokenhearted and Jesus is bringing healing into my life. Our Celebrate Recovery, our support groups ministry just show again and again that we say, you know what? I was in bondage, but I am walking and living in liberty today. It's because of Jesus and the work that Jesus is doing through the ministries of Overlake Christian Church. Right? You see that there is a gathering reality, and as we gather our parishes together, we see the work of Jesus continue in our doors. We see him continue in our hearts. We see it continue in our relationships. Does this make sense? So, it's, so, so you can see how it works together, the gathering and the sending. Now, I want you to keep going because this next verse is very, very important, especially in light of our campaign. It says in verse 4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. What are we to do? We're to rebuild. We're to restore. We're to bless what? The cities that we live in. You see, God wants to build. Who does he want to build with? With us. 
He wants to build with who? With the broken who are now in relationship with him. He wants to build with the hurting who are now experiencing balm with Jesus. He, He wants to build with the captive who is now walking in freedom with Jesus. Do you see what I mean? Jesus builds with the broken. And we were broken and we are broken. So many of us still walk in a road of relationship with Jesus, even in the midst of our stumbling and our, and our faltering. And we, I get that. This is a very safe place to be. But I want you to understand that, that Jesus desires to build with the broken, which means that as we go forward, friends, we will always care for the most marginalized. We will always be a voice for the voiceless. We will always care about the person who is the most downtrodden and the most rejected. We will care for the one who is abused from day one. We will care for those who think they have no place in church. We will say, you belong here. You belong. You may believe, but right now you belong. Do you understand? That we will build with the broken because Jesus builds with the broken. And then you keep reading because the passage isn't over. It keeps going. It's just an amazing passage. Verse 6, it says, and you will be called priests of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. That's what we've been talking about. That you're a priest. You're a minister for your parish, for your neighborhood, for your city. This is you. He's talking about you. And you're like, wait a sec, Pastor Mike, I don't even have a collar. I don't know the sacraments. Like, how can I be a priest? Look, here's what a priest is. A priest stands before God on behalf of the people. And a priest stands before the people on behalf of God. That's what a priest does. And a priest communicates the people's needs and hurts to the Lord, and a priest communicates God's love and grace to the people. And our perfect high priest was Jesus Christ, who perfectly communicated God's heart to the people. He is the visible image of the invisible God, it says in Colossians. Jesus perfectly communicated God to us, and he perfectly communicated us to God when he took our brokenness and our sin and our shame on the cross of Calvary, our perfect high priest. And friends, we are priests, and we are ministers of the Lord. And as we work, and as we serve, and as we care, and as we give, friends, as we seek to be a blessing to our cities, you need to know that there is something that God promises for us. We talked about this before, that as we pray to the Lord for the welfare of our city, that as we seek the welfare of our city, our welfare is contained within it. That as our city prospers, our prosperity comes with it. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7. He says, instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Anybody want a double share of prosperity? Anybody interested in everlasting joy? I am. I'm not ashamed. I want everlasting joy. I want that for you. Say, hey, Pastor Mike, here, you can have a lifetime supply of dryer's ice cream or everlasting joy. I'm choosing the joy. I'm just telling you, I I want joy. I want joy for my life. I want joy for my family, my loved ones. I want joy for my friends. I want joy for you. I want joy for our cities. I want joy for our neighborhoods. I I want joy for our parishes. Friends, I want these things for us. I hope you want them too. 
I hope you recognize how intricately these are all connected. The heart of God, God's heart is he loves the world and he loves your city and he loves you. And he wants to pour his love out over you so that his love can flow through you on his behalf for the people that live in your city. And as we walk this road and as we serve, we give together, as, as, as we do this thing, and by the way, Overlake, you're already creating a reputation for a church who cares. You're already creating a, a reputation for a church filled with the grace of Jesus Christ. I love you. So this is not a bad dog message at all. This is we are doing great. Let's keep going. And the more we go and the more we serve and the more we give and the more we share, you need to know that your light is shining and there's a purpose for it. And I'll just close with the words of Jesus. In Matthew 5, 16, it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? And glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, that's what we want and that's what we pray for, for the glory of God. So why don't we take a moment and we'll pray for that and if you just take a moment and bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, we do want the glory of the Father. We want you to be glorified and honored. We want, we want your love and your grace to be seen in our cities and in our parishes and in our neighborhoods. But we want to start in a very honest place, Lord, the place that Solomon started. We want to start recognizing our need. We're poor in spirit. And we need you. We need you for this endeavor. We need you for this campaign. We need you for this direction. We need you, Jesus. That if you're not laboring with us, then Jesus, we're laboring in vain. That if you're not the one that's at the foundation of this whole thing, then Jesus, we just, we just confess that we are helpless and we are hopeless without you. And so from this place of humility, from this poor in spirit posture, we ask that your spirit would move in us and that you would find us courageous, that you would find us in relationship with you, that you would find us walking and serving and sharing and giving in a way that brings you honor and you glory. And we ask all these things knowing that you care about this world, that you love this world very, very much. Jesus, would you instill your heart in, in us so that we might care for it in the same way. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, amen. 